Hey there, fans. Welcome to the Mental Park Podcast, where we focus on real people, real issues, and real talk. I'm Carla Hutcherson. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I am the director for the Hannah for Hope Foundation. And I'm Brandy Mock, an executive board member for Hannah for Hope. We are here to talk about all things mental health, whether it's daily stress, academic pressure, work and career issues, or managing a diagnosis. We're even talking about suicide and self-harm behaviors. We want to use this space as a non-judgment and honest talk and destigmatizing mental health. And today we want to introduce to you our guest, Jeffrey Armstrong, who's also a licensed professional counselor. In the Dallas area. (laughs) Back in 2014, Jeff and I were working together at the Spark Program at Children's Health, and we got to know each other pretty well, and we've been working as colleagues for quite a while now. And so um, he's a great therapist that I just wanted to kind of get his intake on some of the things that we're dealing with in youth and mental health. You know, we, we know right now there's several statistics out there that are quite concerning. Uh, we know that it is the second leading cause of death, suicide is, for uh, 10 to 24-year-olds, which is extremely concerning. And we know that in 2020, hospitals saw a 31% increase in 12 to 17-year-olds with mental health issues. So we know that this is basically a national and a local health care crisis. Jeff, what are you seeing in some of the trends? Mm. Well, I think that statistic about number two cause of death is probably going to be number one cause of death pretty soon if it's not already. One trend that I do see, and frequently people coming into my office telling me that they have a mental health diagnosis based on things like a TikTok video or somebody at school told them certain things. And that's always been kind of a challenge, but like now you're seeing like kids say that, I I saw a TikTok video and it says, well, if you feel this way, if you feel this way, if you feel this way, you must have this personality disorder. So I'm seeing a lot of these diagnoses sort of thrown around and that's kind of scary, right? And, And so there's, I'm doing a lot of education around that. Yeah, as, as mental health professionals, we have to go through a lot of training to be able to diagnose people. And what we're seeing, I agree with you, is people either looking up on, you know, some kind of uh, website or they're looking at social media and deciding what they have. So and a lot of times that affects their, their mentality and treatment. Well, and it's also, it's also very scary for kids. Think about this. If you're, I mean, you're a teenager or a kid and you don't know much about the world and you read something and or you see a TikTok video and you're like, well, I feel all these things. I must have this. That's, that's kind of terrifying. And so I'm glad that I can have those conversations with kids about diagnosis and, and criteria for diagnosis and symptoms that are, you know, of depression, anxiety, or even just some of these personality disorders. I like being able to educate people around those things because I... I think it's helpful. It does give them some relief. And then it can guide, sort of guide treatment, too. Yeah, I agree. And if we even look at another statistic, um, just in this past couple of years, 59.8% of youth who have a mental health th- diagnosis, they're not even getting treatment. So when you say you like having those conversations with kids that come in your office, you're getting less than 50% of kids who actually are struggling. Right. And, and when I, so... When I worked at, I mean, I worked at Children's, what, seven years in Spark, and then I started doing private practice probably seven years ago, so I was doing both, and my goal was, and this is part of self-care, was to maybe see like 20 to 25 clients per week in private practice, and now I'm seeing like 40, so like that number is really big to me, but overall that number is very small, right? 
I agree. Yeah. And I'm, I'm seeing the same trends in my own private practice that, yeah, it's and and people are, are struggling and they need help and there's, there's not enough resources for them. We're seeing, you know, declining resources. I mean, just when I worked at the children's ER, you know, just seeing how many hospitals are overfilled and there's no place to send kids and they're waiting weeks and weeks and weeks for treatment. So those are some of the trends I'm seeing. Right. And there are probably a lot of different reasons for that. You know, some of it is probably administrative, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think when you're in private practice, you don't have the administrative constraints. You don't have like, you know, the business piece of it, the insurance piece. And so um, as those things become more bloated, I guess, like fewer and fewer patients or or clients are actually going to be seen. So what are some of the trends? Like, I mean, I'm seeing, you know, of course we see the depression and anxiety in these kids is growing and growing. I mean, you know, we saw maybe a level out back in 2019. Things were a little bit better between 2018 and 2019, but now we're seeing the numbers rise again on depression and anxiety. Well, anything can, like, sort of be a correlation. Like, it could be family. It could be social media, drugs and alcohol, school stressors, sleep, things like that, right? Like, any kind of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But um, definitely social media has has been playing a big piece in it. Um, And cannabis, cannabis use, too. I totally agree. I mean, I think social media parents are struggling with how to control this with their kids. You know, you, they have these phones and that's how they communicate with their friends. And so it's really hard for them when they don't have a phone to communicate with their friends. People aren't calling each other on the landlines anymore. And so, you know, one way that they communicate is through their Snapchat or their TikTok or their instant messaging or whatever that is. And so parents are having a hard time controlling what's, you know, what their kids are being exposed to. Well, and also, like, kids are, teenagers are a lot smarter than me. Like, I have learned everything about, like, not everything about drugs, but a, a lot about how to get drugs and or about social media and going around things from teenagers. It's really, I think it's difficult for parents because if they take away these things from their children, like, like Snapchat or things like that, they're kind of left out, right? There's a social piece to it. And parents are afraid to do that. However, there are some things that they can put in place that help them navigate that better. I think a lot of parents are scared that their kids are going to get upset with them. As a counselor, how do you talk to the parents and tell them, hey, there's, I guess, boundaries that need to be set? Mm -hmm. Do Do you actually pull them in and say, this is what I recommend? I do, I do. And and so the thing about working with as a therapist right like confidentiality is really important if there's something you know I always tell kids like if it's a safety issue we have to break confidentiality but if there's something that's helpful for your parents to know that is going to be helpful for you let's talk to them about that and that might even be navigating social media or sleep hygiene or anything at home right like that is helpful and if you kind of get the kids sort of talking about how it's affecting them, they're more likely to do that as opposed to just pulling the blanket out from underneath. Like, you're not having your phone anymore, you know, as opposed to, like, this is why it might be helpful. I know as a parent, and I've talked to you about this, Carla, I've talked to the kids about this when we, we go around and talk to the schools, and I think a lot of it is parents, and I think if we can educate the kids that it's okay to go to your parents mm-hmm. and educate them, because I'm like you, 
I have no idea these social platforms out there anymore. They are educating us. And so when we talk to these kids, we're like, we have no idea. We really don't have any idea. How do you, I mean, you encourage these kids to sit down and talk to their parents. If they're allowing them to go to counseling, you know the parents are opening up to what's going on in their kids' lives. Do you see a lot of you trying to, you know, blend that in and encourage those kids, hey, educate your parents on what these apps are and what, what they make you feel and all that good stuff? Right, because also that takes away some of the fear of them. Like if they talk, there's a fear, teenagers have a fear that if they talk to their parents about stuff, that they're going to get it taken away. Mm. That's very true. And it, it, and we used to see this in, like, I used to see this in, in kids at Spark too. Like they have a fear of telling their parents that they're having suicidal thoughts or they're mm. feeling a certain way because there's this fear they're going to be thrown into the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and maybe that's the case if you've been in the hospital or you've been in a, a mental health setting that wasn't a great one. Like, that is a real fear. So I find that if I sort of just talk about these things and we all talk about them openly, like, it takes away some of the shame of it. Mm-hmm. It just, like, it's out there. It can't hurt you anymore. Let's figure out what to do. Yeah, I know at Hannah for Hope, we're trying to educate parents on you got to talk about suicide and self-harm and mental health just like you have to talk about alcohol, sex, and all of those things because this is real in these kids' life. They're seeing it every day on social media. Are you talking with parents on how to talk to them about that or educating them on how to do that? All the time. I mean, I had a mom come in my office yesterday for an intake, or actually on Friday for an intake, and, and I had not seen the kid yet, but she had told me that she did not want to tell me certain things because she was afraid that the school would find out mm-hmm. or that her insurance would find out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she was one of those many parents who, 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 who said to me, like, well, I don't want to ask my kid if they're having suicidal thoughts or because it might put ideas in their head. When, in fact, yes. it, it, it doesn't. It's actually sort of a, a relief, right? Like, if you ask somebody, they actually... I, 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 Carla, you and I went to this, this I think it was a, like, a, like a suicide... Remember, in, 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 in every other year they had yes, that conference? Yes. And that man who spoke at there, and I forget his name, but he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, Kevin Hine. Kevin Hine. And he had survived, and I remember he had said that if he... He had taken the bus there. He was crying. He was upset and clearly in distress. And that he had thought if one person asked him if he was okay, he wasn't going to do it. Yeah. And somebody stopped him, but they asked him to take their picture. Yes. And so I use that example with parents a lot. Like, you know, this is, I actually use a lot of these examples a lot with parents. Like, this is, if he, and this is pretty much what people think, that if they, if someone would ask them, there's a relief in that. They mm-hmm. might say, hey, listen, I'm struggling. I, I'm not okay. And we you know there's actual mm-hmm. research that says Absolutely. asking does not increase the risk of suicide. It actually reduces it. Right. And then the, and the other thing is, is, is that educating parents about safety around suicide or self-harm or even just some mental health stuff. Like if we have to put safety precautions in place as a parent or even, even as an adult, it's not a punishment. And I even use... What is that statistic? Like they put the nets up on the Golden Gate Bridge now, mm-hmm. and is it, I, I believe it's ninety to ninety-five percent of people who go there to commit suicide. Can, you know, they can't jump. They don't go somewhere else that day and commit suicide. Yeah, and so this is why how I reference safety at home. Like we're not taking away or putting these things in place in the home because you know 
you're in trouble, it's to keep you safe, right? Because just even because if someone wants to hurt themselves, they can do it, right? right? But creating a space between there because we all know that emotions have a beginning and an end. And, you know, if you can, and when your emotions are really intense, that's when you do something that's sort of impulsive. And, and kids are just impulsive in general, and they don't, re- and it's harder to regulate emotions. And so that's why we teach them all these coping skills. But that's why, we, that's, that's how I reference safety at home. It's just like parents are just like, well, if I lock up all these things, am I a bad mom? My kid's going to notice. And I'm like, listen, I trust you. I don't trust depression. Mm. Hundred percent. I mean, I love how you just referenced that doing those lockups is like a safety net. Right. It's a safety net. It's a safety net. And 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 you know, I'd rather you be mad at me and alive. Of course. And and it's really important for parents out there to know that it's okay if your kids are mad at you. They won't stay mad at you forever. Right? You're doing your job sometimes when they get mad at you because you know that you're doing the right things. Yeah. How do you handle things? Let's flip things around. Because I've had kids come to us or come to me and say in detail how they want to take their life. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the parent and say, hey, we're concerned. Your child has expressed A, B, and C. And then you get a response from a parent. Well, she doesn't have the balls to pierce her ears. What makes she think she's going to kill herself? And I'm being blunt about this because these are real conversations that we're we, seeing. We hear them. We hear these <laughs> yeah. conversations. You mm-hmm. see the child, and, and it's just like, oh, she just wants attention. But then you hear a parent respond like that. How do you handle that? How do you, how do you re-educate a parent to go, this is really, truly a cry out for help. She really needs you to understand her and, and get them to you know, consider... Uh, not having that hard line attitude of she doesn't have the the gall to do it. Yeah, uh, I think that, and again, I, I've been a therapist for years, and I, I've, you know, I've actually in my career only had one one client ever die from suicide, and uh, but I have multiple examples of attempts and stuff, and so I'm more than happy to share some examples, right? And then even just, then even if you want to just get educational about urges and behaviors and emotions with kids, like, I'm like, I'll even draw out the wave for them, right? And like, so, yeah, and if I need to provide statistics, because kids are really impulsive, and often they do things at the top of the wave, because if if I explain it in terms of emotions, right, most of us are trying to make uncomfortable emotions go away. 100%. Like, and often negative emotions murdering positive emotions, mm. right? So if you're at the top of the wave and you're feeling a really intense emotion, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm 47 years old, but, like, when I'm at the top of the wave, I felt, when I was a kid, like, I felt like that emotion was never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Now I'm an adult. So, like, if I'm at the top of the wave, I'm like, ah, I've been here before. This can't last forever. No one has ever died from intense emotions. Mm-hmm. No one's ever exploded from having really intense emotions. So when you describe, when you talk to parents in terms of like, here's the thing about emotions, emotions lead to behaviors Mm -hmm. and we're all trying to not feel emotions or or certain emotions, like at least managing them, right? Well, or managing, right. And often like, you know, like, and you might, as a parent, you might be doing this in your own way, right? Like, okay, drugs and alcohol, they, you know, it's a myth that that doesn't make you feel better because it. It, it, it does. It changes your emotion. Yeah, right. temporarily. Temporarily. Yeah. Or going shopping or going online. Whatever it is, whatever the case is, it's like, okay, this is, this is how your child is, has been thinking about making this emotion or these emotions go away. You might just be like, ah, 
I'll have a glass of wine or I'll complain, you know, talk event with one of my friends or I'll take a nap. But your kid is thinking about it this way. Mm. So we got to kind of slip in here and we got to, your kid needs some coping skills around this. And, and I don't know, I, I understand attention seeking, but there's a, usually attention seeking. There's a reason. Right. right. There's an right. unmet, like an unmet need or want, right? Right. Like, so let's listen to it, you know? Yeah, and, and, and I hate to even villainize parents because being a parent in this day and age, it is tough. Hard. Oh, yeah. I can't. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's tough. The things that these kids are exposed to is just beyond my understanding. And so, yeah, being a parent is hard. So what I would like parents to know is don't parent alone. Yes. Partner in with other parents. Partner in with therapists. Get help. You don't have to do this alone. Right. And also, you know, there's a difference between parenting and parenting from fear, mm-hmm. right? Because then that's the other thing is par- some of these parents will go from one extreme, like my, everything was fine of it with my kid, and now they're like, they go all the way over here, right? Mm-hmm. And there is just, and that's the middle path here. Mm-hmm. So, no, it, it is hard. And I, that's why I think therapists have to work with parents too. Yeah. I always say that, you know, many times my young patients can't get better unless the parents are in there in the treatment with them because yeah. they have to change for the kid to change. I love that too. And I love that, that the way you guys handle it that way, because, you know, back in the day when our kids took counseling, you know, the therapists weren't big on pulling us in. And I think it goes back to what you said. The kids were so scared mm-hmm. that anything that was discussed with the parent, the parent was going to, you know, either you're not going to counseling anymore. I don't think this is healthy for you. And really the parents are being forced to deal with their own issues of not listening, not addressing issues, not trying to understand social media, Mm -hmm. all the things that these kids are going through right now. It is not, there's no manual for being a parent. Um, But well, uh, you know, when I talk to parents and, and it doesn't matter any client, really, it's like, I am not an expert on your life and I'm not an expert on your family. What I am is a person who's here to ask you questions that you already know the answer to. Yeah, 100%. And in a non-judgmental way. Mm. Yeah. You know, you go to the hospital and immediately it's like if you said, I'm not going to do this, you know, there's going to be a CPS call or something like that. And and I understand why that stuff is in place, but let's figure out what we can do, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you're an expert on your family. Like, this is your family. Yeah, and I think... A lot of times we see mental health professionals or schools or other agencies trying to get in there and parent for the parents, right? Mm. Right. But ultimately, the parents are responsible for this child. And it takes a community to raise kids. But ultimately, these, kids, these parents are the experts on their kids. Exactly. And, and it's that relationship that's important. Hey, I'm going to get a little controversial here. Are you ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little social media. Like I'm hearing in news and stuff about, you know, maybe putting some regulations and holding social media companies responsible Mm. for the content they're exposing young people to. What are your thoughts? Mm. Free speech or protecting kids? It's like, it's tough. Uh, Yeah, there's definitely a middle path here, right? Here's the thing, like, these kids are going to find information that they want to get. The, the thing is, is that we need to be a good consumer of research, right? Mm-hmm. We need to be very, very aware of where we're getting our information. Like if I go online and I, 
and I start shopping for shorts, shorts are going to show up in everywhere, right? So if you go online and you're doing some of this stuff, you're going to get served. There's just, there's just algorithms and algorithms really don't have emotions Mm. and algorithms can't parent. Very true. So it kind of goes back to, I think you, back to like, you're an expert on your life. Your family is your responsibility. And, and educating yourself, right? Like I, years ago, when, I, when we were at Children's, I, I would try to keep up on like things like technology on how to put things in safety things in place online or whatever. But they were changing so much. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is not my job. Like, I can tell you what needs to be done. I can't really tell you how to do it because I'm not, like, a social media expert. Right. I agree. And it, it, it's all, it's, I mean, it's marketing, right? So going back to parents who, you know, your kids have these phones, they're communicating with their friends. I guess what we're trying to say and what I would tell parents as well is be aware of what's on your kid's phone. Don't just hand them an open slate. Know what they're putting on there. You know, be and, aware. And also, like, don't do it behind their back. Yeah. Be very aware. Oh, like yeah. I, you know, parents will come in and they'll be like, "Well, I saw this on his phone. Does he know you're looking at his phone?" No, he needs to know. You own the phone. Right. I, I don't. I don't know if I'm right in saying this. I don't know that you can own a phone until you're 18 legally that has your name on it. I, I don't know that. I don't either. think you I mean, can. I think you can, you're right. Maybe you can buy a jitterbug at Walmart or something, <laughs> but like, like you don't own the phone. <laughs> I, I don't. And 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 by the way. The phone, the other thing about the phone is it's, it's not free. Like Who's we, paying for it? We're right. all, right, you're, if you're, pay, you're paying for this phone, like, and, and you don't, you know, I tell, I tell parents and kids, first of all, parents don't want to look at your phone. And kids don't want you to look at, and I don't want your parents to look at your phone. Mm-hmm. So if you're kind of being a good steward of it, of the resources, they don't want to. Your parents don't want to check up on you. They don't want to follow, I mean, some of, I mean, maybe some do, but the majority of parents don't want to be monitoring their kid. So trust is earned. You're not entitled to being trust. No. Yeah. It's, it's earned. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. So I'm going to go with, what are some of your favorite skills? What do you teach your kids? Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist, right? Right. But I, so first of all, I kind of joke a lot. Like, as a therapist, I kind of front load skills in therapy, right? Because years ago, I thought to myself, like, okay, we can come in and we're going to talk about hard things, but if you leave and, and you're going to get maybe get emotional, and then you're going to leave my office with no skills. So really, I'm a big believer that if <laughs> kind of the, if we didn't have thoughts, we'd have no problems. Right. So I, I really educate kids on, you know, thinking errors. Like, the way that you're thinking is leading to how you feel. And actually changing the way you think changes neural pathways in your brain. So when we talk about treating depression, and I'm a therapist, I'm not a physician, but medication kind of is, is symptom relief. And here we're going to work on thinking and behaviors. Mm-hmm. So first of all, we kind of start with thoughts. So I'm big on like challenging thoughts using what I kind of, I know as the three C's, like where we check, challenge, change thoughts. And so, for example, if somebody comes in and, uh, and, and they, they talk about something that went down, like I want you to describe what happened to me, but we're going to quickly get into what, what thoughts you were having about this. And then let's go to your emotions. And so I'm also big on educating kids on how to describe their emotions. Because there's over 12,000 words in the English language to describe emotions. And the average person uses probably like 
five ten. I agree. So every it's like I get kids in my office and they're either like they're either annoyed annoyed or bored. Yes. So if, if you're if what you're feel, if what you're feeling is is sadness and you're using annoyed to That's describe confusing. it's confusing to you, it's confusing to the people that want to help help you and it's also confusing like what you're you might not be using the right coping skills cuz I use very different coping skills if I'm annoyed versus sad. Exactly. So we first we got it so again describing emotions, right? Which kind of ties into emotion regulation. Like if I can tell you what I'm feeling, then you can help me in this way or not help me, right? Or maybe it's at the end, you know, describing emotions also is, is, is about describing the intensity. So if you told your mom you're like, you're just annoyed, maybe she gives you some space. But if, she tell, if you tell her that you're furious, right, like maybe she's going to back up a little bit because she, she knows that you're really mad. She might change her tone of voice. She, she might, might change her tone of yeah. voice or she might, you know, or may not offer help in a certain way. So, so I think that's something that's important that I do in therapy is like the, these, these thinking errors or stinking thinking, whatever we challenge those. And then I, I'm going to, you know, not only just identifying them, but let's find some skills on how to change those thoughts. Right. For example, one thing might be like alternative explanations. Say you send someone a, a text and they, they, and I, I'm, I'm not super savvy with all this stuff, but they, they leave you on red or whatever. Oh, yeah. Don't or, leave it open. Don't leave it open. Right. If you leave it open and then immediately, I need to know that story that you start telling yourself. They're mad at me. They're ignoring me. They're done with me. That's an automatic thought, yeah, right? Correct. However, what are some alternative explanations as to why? Alternative explanations are not defaults. And they're not necessarily facts. It's just another way of right. looking at it. Yeah. And so I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but here's the thing. This way of thinking is making you feel this way. And this way of thinking could make you feel this way. Sometimes I like, I'm like, really, it, it, a thought is just a thought, right? So if you have the thought, my mom is mad at me versus, I don't know, I'm a unicorn. Which thought makes you feel worse? Unicorn. No, unicorn. <laughs> right? And they're like, well, I guess, well, I'm not a unicorn. Okay. It's, so really, the, it comes down to, are the thoughts helpful or factual? Agreed. And, or are they, or I'm sorry, are they accurate or helpful? And often Agreed. thoughts are not accurate. In fact, 60% of thoughts are negative. And we have upwards of 20,000 thoughts a day. You're not even all aware of them, right? And they're leading you down this path. So in, if, in fact, the thought is true, then, and you have a really uncomfortable emotion, now we're going to lear, learn some emotion regulation skills. So quick question, because you're talking as therapist, but I'm a, the parent, right? And yeah. I'm thinking, and I love what you just said. You're explaining these kids to explain their emotions, but really get down to what emotion they're feeling, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they start sharing that with their parent, and how do you encourage, because I was this parent probably when my kids said, well, I'm mad. Well, why are you mad? I would just keep asking, well, what, what's made you mad? But the kids just, they need time to themselves. They're like, I've expressed how I feel. What do you, how do you encourage a parent to handle that when, you know, if you were the me back in the day, well, why are you mad? I need to know what upsets you. You know, sometimes a kid just needs to express how they feel and give them space, right? So how would you encourage a parent if the child's expressing how they feel, how to handle it? Well, and not and not just over information, overload them with. I need to know why you feel this way. Well, what I tell parents is is that when you kind of get in fix it mode, 
it's it's kind of selfish. Okay. Because like the, if you think about it, you're wanting to fix this problem because you don't like the way you're feeling. Because your kid's hurting, that doesn't feel good to you. So if you fix your kid, then I don't have to feel this way anymore. Which is a really sort of selfish act, if you think about it. Yeah, and it goes right back into that that hamster wheel, right? Yes. So we're back in the thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors. But the way you just explained that, a lot of parents don't even think about that, mm-hmm. right? They think they're doing their job by trying to get the information out. But I love how you just said that. It's more selfish desire on the parents than it is to actually listen to the child and let them do them. Because they're uncomfortable. And then they'll come back to you, maybe, or yeah. hope that they do. Well, and... This is also coming from, like, a recovering people pleaser, right? I realized that people pleasing is super selfish. Mm, yeah. Like, if I do and do for you and I fix things for you, then I don't have to feel bad. Uh, the other thing is is parents need to remember that they were teenagers once, too. And so back when you were a teenager and somebody wanted to fix things for you, how, how did that go? Yeah, it didn't. Right? Like, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't go, well, go very right? well at all. So, so maybe, in fact, like... It, it, it might look like it, you see your kids in distress or they're sad and they're, they're you're just like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, I don't know. I just feel. And, and you're just saying, hey, I'm just glad you told me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how can yeah. I support you? So change yeah. from what can I do to fix it to how can I support you? Yeah. yeah. What it, do you need from me? Yeah. Like, this is silly, but like, <laughs> I, 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 as a therapist, like, I'm not in the business of like telling people what to do with right? Like I can, I can educate you and I might give you some education on safety, things like that, or even coping skills. But like whenever I, I want to fix things, like I'm hearing things in my office, I physically just sit on my hands. Like I do. I learned that from a flight attendant actually, because actually if you watch flight attendants, they, when right before they take off and land, they all, they all they sit on their hands because if there's a crash, they actually, because that crash that happened in the Everglades in the 90s, the reason the flight attendants died is because they drowned because their arms were broken. So now it's like an FAA thing that flight attendants, they sit on their hands when they take off and land because it will kind of brace them for if there's a crash, their arms won't break. Oh, wow. That is so, so interesting. I actually, I, my, one of my best friends is a flight attendant, and so I know this from him. And so when, whenever I feel myself like somebody telling me something and I want to, like, tell Excellent. them what to do and fix it, I just sit on my hands. I put them under that my That is such a good skill. It I is. love that. That is amazing. Awesome. I guess, you know, as we're kind of coming to a close tonight, what are some of the contributing factors? What do you think is causing this increase? I know we had the whole COVID pandemic and the whole world kind of experienced something they hadn't experienced before. So what do you think has been the recent changes? What are the contributing factors? Well, I mean, there's a lot, right? It, but it, it, a lot of it is also information and choices. So I don't know that this statistic is right, but years ago I heard that we have more information like presented to us in one day than... 30 years ago you had in five months Mm. right and that's just sort of hard to process we can't process as fast as things are sort of happening and the other thing is i i think when you have a lot of choices you have more anxiety like you know i i joke about this because i mean 
20 years ago, if I went to Target to buy toothpaste, right, there's maybe like 10 kinds of toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> and now if I go down the toothpaste aisle, like there's two aisles of it. I'm having an anxiety attack because like, I don't know, do, do I need this one that does this? Do I need this one? And sometimes I'm like, Overload. I don't, right, it's anxiety. I don't trust myself. Yeah. Now, it's great to have choices, but a lot of times having a lot of choices creates anxiety. That's why, like, having a little structure is good. And I think that, that you know, in, these kids, they're, they're just so, I mean, they're all really busy. Yes. I mean, I don't remember staying up till 1 in the morning doing homework. They're yeah. all staying up till 1 in the morning. Yeah. It's, yes. And and that's a reality, right? Like, we're, we can't, we're not going to, like, say that they, that, that, that it shouldn't be this way because it, it is it is what it is. It right? is what it is. And so navigating that and and it, it, but there's there's lots of contributing factors and everybody wants like to probably pin it on a couple, mm. whether it be social media, whether it be school, whether it be parenting, whether it be the phone. Everybody, but really, there's a whole there's everything is sort of playing into this. And I'm hearing all of this relates to just fast pace, yeah, fast mm. pace and choices. Yeah. yeah, it's tough. It is tough. Well, any uh, thoughts on your end on what you want parents or kids to know? Yeah. Um, the first one is, like, thoughts aren't facts. 100%. And thoughts aren't facts. That's and, a T-shirt. And just, that is a that's T-shirt. A t-shirt. <laughs> or a bumper sticker, at least. Yeah. And, and feelings aren't facts, either. I Just yeah. because I feel a certain way does not mean that this is what's going on or this is how it's going to be forever. And perspective is a choice, I think. Yeah. And uh, and actually, I kind of like the fact that like that an emotion can't last forever. Yeah, I love that. And it, we talk about it being like a wave, right? Yeah. This, this wave of emotion, but waves don't stay at the top. No. And they always go into a calm, beautiful beach, right? So yeah, you just have I, to realize it has to ride its way down. Yeah. And so, in if in that moment, like when I feel like I don't have choices, or you feel like you don't have choices, you really only I mean, you can problem solve, you can tolerate it. You can distract yourself or you can kind of stay miserable. That's, yeah. that's the thing about emotions. And, and, and every emotion, that's the other piece, is that all emotions have a function. We, don't, we need them all. We need them all. Evolution-wise, all emotions serve a purpose. Yeah. And I think through everything you've said, I think one thing is true. You always have a choice. Parents have a choice. Kids have a choice. And it's how do we navigate good choices over bad ones. Yeah. And sometimes you, all your choices are you know, bad choices. Yeah. <laughs> you don't always have good choices. Yes. And it happens. And then how do you recover from it in a healthy way? Yeah. Change is the only thing that's constant. So if you kind of leave things alone, sometimes something will change. And I think that is a great place to leave it. As always, if you are struggling, struggling with mood or mental health issues, please reach out to somebody. Please get help. There's many professionals out there who want to help you. If you don't have a professional to talk to, make sure you're reaching out to a friend so that you can get connected to somebody. If you are having self-harm thoughts or suicidal thoughts, please go to the nearest ER, call 911, or even call the suicide hotline at 988 Thank you so much for tuning in to The Mental Perk. We hope our talk today highlighted real people working through real issues based on mental health. Our goal at Mental Perk is to make sure every one of you knows you You matter, matter. you're You're never never alone. alone.